powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Hi there. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we jump into the episode, though, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Haley Shapley. Her episode was very well received, and I was completely overjoyed by the positive response it got. If you've not had a chance to listen to our fantastic interview, I strongly recommend you give it a listen after the completion of this episode. So welcome to episode 155, and we have an out-of-this-world interview lined up for you today. In a first for the Derek Duvall Show, we welcome legendary stunt choreographer Nick Gillard. Nick will be talking about his days as a stuntman and his work as the Swordmaster on the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Nick is an incredibly interesting man, and I can't wait for you to learn more about him, so let's just get him on out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from Brighton, England, stunt choreographer and Swordmaster Nick Gillard. Nick, hello. Welcome to the Derek of All Show. How is the weather out by you today? Well, actually, I think it's nicer here than it is in Los Angeles at the moment. I'm calling from Brighton, which is my hometown down mm. in the south of England, 50 miles south of London on the coast. I've never left here. This is where I was born, and I, I live within a mile of where I was born. That's amazing. So I start my interviews off the same way. That is, how has it been for you? navigate the COVID-19 world we've been living in? It was a strange thing for me, Derek, actually. It was the the first time. Uh, we only got four months off, bizarrely. We ended up as key workers. But, you know, I thought I was going to get six months off. And that was the longest I've ever had off. I, I only got four. But that was the longest I've ever had off since I started in the show business in 1972. And so I just... Loved it. I Listen, it was awful for so many people. But for me, it was just the most amazing thing. And living here in Brighton, you, the coast is just there. You know, you could get away from it or you could get on your push bike and ride off. So I absolutely loved it. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? I was born here in Brighton in, um, in, the, in 1959. <laughs> And it's been a fantastic place. Brighton's a really alternative town and um, amazing place to grow up as mm. for a child. That's awesome. So were you interested in a career in the military? Or was, that, was that your parents' choice to send you to a military school? It was parents' choice. I'm, I've got six sisters and, like, I'm the only boy. And my dad was in the Navy. And so that's, you know, that's the way I, I guess he wanted me to go. But I, I had no interest whatsoever. What appealed to you most about running away to join the circus? Well, again, it wasn't a really a runaway. 
you know, I, I just walked into this circus that was in in the town. And you probably read my parents were away at the time. And this was before internet and before phone, mobile phones and stuff. So I was never going to speak to them for nine months. And in that time, I got established in the circus. How long were you with the circus and what prompted you to leave? You know, when you're that age, you don't know what you want to do. I could ride horses. That was about it. I was there. I went there at 12 and and I lived with a family. They brought me up until I was 18. Well, about 20, until I was 18. But I'd go back and do it because I really liked it. Um, but I got on the stump register at 18. We went and did a movie. We went and did this movie called Thief of Baghdad before I was a stuntman. This was 1977. Yeah. And they needed some people who were good with horses because it was a green screen, very early green screen thing, a lot of equipment on a soundstage. And we went in from the circus with three horses and did this job. And for us, it was really an easy thing to do. And they paid us £100 for the day, which was more money than we earned in a year, you know. And they gave us loads of food. And so for me, that was that. That's where I was headed. That's amazing. Now, I read that you were a stuntman on one of the original Star Wars films, that you were Mark Hamill's double, is that correct? No, it's not true. I, I, when I got on the stunt register, they were shooting, I don't know which one it was, it's the one where he gets, he f- gets thrown out through that, that circular window when he discovers Vader's his father. Oh, right. And I, I just happened to go to the set at Elstree that day and at that time, I was the youngest stunt performer by a million years. And the guy that was doubling, Mark, was, you know, 20 years older than him. And so me and Mark sort of struck up a friendship quite quickly. But I doubled him immediately afterwards. On a, He did a movie called Britannia Hospital. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Lindsay Anderson movie. I doubled him on that. And man, was I a good double back then. The director actually sat down with me for about 20 minutes trying to tell me my lines one day. And I'm saying, listen, I'm the double. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, Yeah, I was a great double for Hamill. I've met Mark Hamill. He's a very, very nice, very genuine, very, very genuinely nice person. I think he's a really nice guy. I think a lot of people think he's odd, but he's not. I think he's... Well, you know what I mean in a in a in a good way, but yeah, he's not yeah. at all. He's just a really nice bloke. Yeah. He was shooting a movie that I just happened to be uh, in the same place at, and uh, he was very gracious with his time. Very very friendly person. So yeah, he's a pro. Yeah. So you have worked on five James Bond films now: Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, The Living Daylights, and I believe Goldeneye, which is a personal favorite of mine. But what do you remember best from working in the James Bond franchise? And compared to other sets, what's it like? You know, it's funny you should say it, Derek, because, you know, Star Wars is massive. Indiana Jones is massive. I've worked on some, you know, I did Waterworld. I've done some really massive movies. There's nothing like a Bond film. There really isn't. When If you're a Bond film, will take over a city, you know, you're, You'll turn up somewhere and it's that's what it is. It's it's like the biggest show on earth coming to town. Who's your favorite James Bond, just out of curiosity? I liked well, well, it's hard to say. It's like saying who's your favorite Doctor Who, isn't it? (laughs) I loved Roger Moore for that time. I think Daniel Craig uh, has been the best one for me, you know. Really? Yeah. That's That's awesome. So before we get heavy into Star Wars, there are a few quick questions. And the first one is, can you tell my listeners about the world record that you hold as a stuntman? 
Well, I wasn't trying to get any world records. It, 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 that's actually quite a funny story because I didn't even know I had them. I had one for the longest fire being on fire the longest. One for I jumped a power boat over a bridge in Amsterdam. So the biggest power boat jump. It was 30 feet in the air, to be fair. And um, I have another one as well. I'm not going to tell you in case Guinness. But anyway, Guinness rang me and said, somebody's trying to break your fire record, you know. And I didn't even know I was in the book. This was like 1989 or something. And it's a funny story because when I was a kid uh, in the circus, there's a thing where you vault on and off a horse mm -hmm. in a one circle of the of the circus ring. How many times can you vault on and off the horse? And when I, when I was young and you'd get the Guinness Book of Records for Christmas, it had a circus one and it had that and it was 26, 26 volts. And at the time, I was supposedly the best trick rider in the world. I was with the, with the Moscow State Circus and I could only do 25, you know, and I could not understand how you could do 26. I wasn't even touching the horse at 25. And so then I, you know, when they rang me and said, you're in our book, and I thought, well, they hadn't checked that. I thought, I wonder if they checked the 26 volts. Or somebody just said they did 20. And it really annoyed me. You know, I suddenly thought they're not checking their stuff. So I said to them, well, look, I don't want to be in your book. You know, especially as if somebody's trying to beat my fire record. This was a normal person. They were just going to set on fire and he was going to walk down the street. Uh, and you don't, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid to do it. I wasn't doing it to get a record. So I asked them to remove me from their book. They said nobody has ever asked that before. And I said, well, put me in for that record then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you said that. I remember when I was a kid, literally, you know, growing up in Great Britain, uh, when one Christmas we got a Guinness World Record uh, board game. It was kind of like a, looked like Trivial Pursuit, but it had like, you know, Guinness World Record questions instead. I don't know why that just kind of clicked in my head. Yeah. So have you ever had a stunt go wrong? Um, yeah, I have, yeah. Inevitably after 40 years, but not through any fault of people. It's usually some kind of equipment failure. A wire will break, you know, a car will go the wrong way. Just stuff like that. You just mentioned, like I said, being set aflame. If a director comes up to you and says, hey, we need you to be on fire for X amount of time, what emotions do you go through when you hear that? Uh, for me, it's my most favourite stunt to do because it's so bloody dangerous and it's a primal thing you know once that fire wraps around you especially once it wraps around your head you have this primal fear to run really it's a, it's a bizarre feeling and so for us for people that do stunts for a living that's what it's about so you know it's about overcoming your brain and understanding that it's it's going to check you out way before you need you need to go. You know, you were in the military. I do this thing where I go through like a computer program in my head and I check off all the things that are going to come off, you know, that are going to come up, all the warnings that are going to flash up. And just so that I'm ready for them and I'm, and I'm in control of them. But yeah, I absolutely love fire. So for me, it's just exciting. That's awesome. All right, so we come to the next phase of the interview that I think will cover your most well-known work, which is Swordmaster and Stunt Quarter for Star Wars films, the prequels. Mm -hmm. uh, how were you approached to take on such a task? Uh, I was approached for Star Wars. I've been working for them for years, 
for Lucasfilm, you know, off and on on different things. And just prior to Phantom Menace, I've been doing Young Indiana Jones with them out in Morocco. I missed that show. Yeah, it was a good show. You know, we shot it all around the world. And uh, anyway, so a whole most of us from Phantom Menace have been working on that show. And uh, we all ended up on on it. How, what guidance did George Lucas give you to how, you know, crafting the many lightsaber battles in the films? You know, he, he was great. George has never, he doesn't know anything about fighting. He's never been in a fight. And <laughs> um, he told me he'd never been in a fight. And, and so he left, he left it up to me. When, when we first met, I had some ideas. I'd already, we shot a fight. We shot the Darth Maul fight, proper camera crew, and showed him that. He he was more interested in what his son would feel about it because we we made that those movies for five to fourteen year olds, and his son loved it, and so he pretty much just left me alone then. What is your process for choreographing such a fight? You know, I read that you gave each character a you know a flaw and a bonus. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. I mean, not that cut and dry. You you read the script, you know the actors, you you know, I've known you and for years before that. Um and you try and get the character and you try and get the actor it, it, from the script and then you build it from there, you know, their emotion and things like that. Yeah, I try and give them something or other, some kind of fault or something where they might not win the fight, you know, because of an exterior thing. That's just helps. That's just a writing tool. How long on average you know, do the performance have to practice before it's time to shoot? Well, ideally as long as possible. Uh, there were, Hayden came for eight weeks. But to give you some idea, on the last one, which had the most fight in episode three, Ewan was doing another movie in America, and he could only get there with three weeks to go, which means you're going to get two weeks rehearsal and they'll, they'll probably come in for four hours a day but if you had four hours a day for two weeks i could teach you to do those fights how did you meet ray park first of all they wanted me to play darth maul but when you're a stunt coordinator you have a there's a lot to do and you just wouldn't you just wouldn't have time to do it so i was looking for a gymnast i didn't really want the sword fighter because i, I wanted to i didn't i wanted to teach them i didn't want somebody already knew and um, would resist, you know, this new way of fighting. It's much closer, lightsaber fighting. You're much closer to your opponent than you are in any other kind of sword fight. I did it on purpose because I wanted them to feel uncomfortably close. A friend of mine, another stunt coordinator, had just done Mortal Kombat, and he had a, a load of gymnasts in. And he said, you might want to try this guy. He's the, he was the right look. He was a great gymnast. But he had also done wushu, which, you know, is a kind of dance with a paper sword. Um, so, yeah, he came in and straight away was absolutely perfect for it. Mm. So when I told people that you were going to be on the show, I asked the fans to submit some questions. I chose the most intelligent of them, and there were some real bizarre ones. Trust me. So the first fan question is, Liam Neeson had done some swordplay in prior films, such as Rob Roy. How was it for him to adapt to the fighting that you were trying to teach? Uh it was tough for him. I also did Rob Roy, not as the swordmaster, but as a stunt performer. Yeah, he said it was really tough. It's it's very quick, you know. You've got to be about your stuff. We used to, 
he was also doing Les Mis at the time. And so we would go to his house. He was living in London. We'd teach him there at the weekend in his back garden. But yeah, he got it all. Okay, Devon Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Nick Gillard. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know, that's right, Clouseau style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Are you craving a cinematic thrill? Join Too Many Captains, four friends who choose a new release in theaters and look back at an important film that influenced it. Tune in weekly for your ultimate movie fix. We break down everything from the story structure to the budget versus box office and the masterminds behind cinema classics. Think Damien Chazelle, Catherine Bigelow, Alejandro Gonzalez, and Rick Two. Close enough. We dish hot takes on A-list stars we all know or mispronounce. Like Ralph Finesse, Seorsi Ronan, and Shewelta Ijafor. You get the gist. Find us at moviepodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Join the fun as three fanboys and an ADHD buddy dive into film history. Too Many Captains, your film podcast fix. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBALL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember, folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. 
It's time to feel the rage. Join us on Film Rage, where we talk movies, current releases, coming attractions, streaming, and classic films as well. Directors and actors, beware as you cannot hide from the rage. My name is Bryce, and I'm part of the Film Rage crew, which also includes Jim. Hey, hey. And Murray. Yo. Why is it you always talk? All the time. I can't understand I why. This, this, is, this is the Merman, the voice of reason. These two can't agree on anything most of the time. Some movies are Mondo, some are just Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. And you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my upper This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Welcome back to episode 155 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with stunt choreographer and the swordmaster of the Star Wars prequel trilogy, Nick Gillard. So, first time you saw the finished product of Phantom Menace, what were your thoughts? Um, I was pleased, actually. I, you know, when we were making it, you don't know, it had been 30-odd years mm-hmm. since the one, the last one. And... We didn't, I'm not going to say we we didn't take it seriously. We did, of course, we take every job seriously, but it seemed odd that you were suddenly, and there was Star Wars was happening again. And so everybody had a fantastic time on Phantom Menace. And then when it came out and it was so successful, we were all nervous about Attack of the Clones. <laughs> you know, when we went back, we were all like, oh my God, we've got to take this way more seriously. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a breeze, Phantom Menace, to work on. So the next fan question is, how do you choreograph a CGI Yoda fight? You just do one half. So we just, we also only found out about that on the day that it happened. And um, George suddenly wanted Dooku fighting Yoda. So we just worked out where he was with with industrial light magic they showed us where he was going to be where he was going to jump where he would land and they just called that out and my guy did a dance with his sword that was different every time Mm -hmm. and it ilm then match yoda into it so for us it was very easy there is another fan question is confirm a long-standing rumor that you mcgregor and hayden christian were so fast they were asked to slow down and just how quickly did they take to the training? Oh, they loved it. You know, that's the thing that they both love doing. All of the actors love doing that, apart from Palpatine. Yeah, it was really easy. But yes, we did have to slow them down. They got so quick at it. it you know, the lightsabers were barely touchy. That's crazy. So, last, uh, sorry, second to last question, and that is uh, of the fan questions. That is, can you walk us through what happened with Ian McDermott? being asked to use uh, do the, the lightsaber battle instead of a stuntman 
Yeah, it was. I don't. I still to this day don't really know what happened. I, I've always maintained that you can teach anybody. I, I reckon I can teach anybody. You know, even a three hundred pound person, except Ian. Ian, <laughs> Ian is the only person I've never been able to teach. We discovered that very early on, you know, because he had that big fight. And so he, he was brought over early to do the rehearsals and he came in and just not in a million years was it going to happen. And I went to George early on and said, it's not going to happen. You know, he, he won't be able to do it. We had a great double, Michael Burns. And he had done the other fight with Yoda, you know, in the, where, they, where he ends up crashing into that seat. And then anyway, on the day, I don't know what happened. On the day, George suddenly wanted him to do it. We said he can't. He doesn't even know the fight, you know. And he said, well, you're going to have to adjust it. But this is with 10 minutes to go. Yeah. And so we did the best we could, you know. What did the original version look like? Well, it's up actually uh, it's up on my youtube channel bits and pieces of it are up mm. but i'm going to cut it together and post it on there because people seem to really love that stuff and you haven't seen it yet you know there's some guy i posted little bits and pieces on there and some guy copied them and made a kind of fight right. out but he hasn't got all the material and so yeah that's the next thing i'll cut it won't be for a while right but i'll put it up yeah i'll put it up and you'll see the whole thing that'd be awesome so the the battles you choreographed are kind of the chef's kiss for the films looking back at your work after all these years what do you remember best about, about this absolutely amazing work that you did um i'm glad it was me to be honest <laughs> because i truly care <laughs> and also <laughs> you know and also i know the competition you know uh, and some of them came after me on various Star Wars films. Yeah, it's, listen, it's really easy to write a fight, just a fight. You can do it, but it, it's very difficult to write a fight that marries into the movie properly. And I hope that's what I achieved. So I've had many guests on my show who have worked very closely with Steven Spielberg, but none who have worked with George Lucas. What kind of person is he? And what are your favorite memories of collaborating with him? He's lovely. He's uh, just a really lovely man. He's, you know, he's no fool. You really, you, you couldn't work for a better director. And and it's such it's such a rare situation that you're working with a director that has written it, and is there on the set and is paying for it. You know, that's I think the key because it, often when you're on other jobs, on big studio jobs, the decision making process is mind-numbing you know what you have to go through to get things done but when you're when you're with george you just got a shout hey george you know and he'll say yes or no hmm. have you gone back and watched the films or do you even bother watching them i haven't in fact i did an interview recently on star wars theory and um it was a bit embarrassing because he was asking me things i just didn't know right and it's only because it's a very different deal when you work on it when you go and watch it, you're not watching necessarily your work thinking, oh, I could have done that better. You're remembering what an awful day that was or what an amazing day that was, you know, or an argument that you had with costume. Yeah. And so it's a it's a very different thing. And it's also, you don't, you know, the work you did was two years, 
three years prior and it's been cut and changed and right it's different it's a different deal it's you know it's if you've done it your whole life it's like a normal job and yeah. and i don't think somebody who works i don't know selling newspapers would go back and you know <laughs> it's no different yeah you, you move on so what's next for you is there a book maybe or something you're working on <laughs> a book would be funny <laughs> <laughs> um no i i did I, I got disillusioned with movies after wanted you know that movie wanted after that yeah. i just i just didn't want to do it anymore to be honest like on a, at any level and um i so i did and i took some time out after that and then i thought what i enjoyed most of all was the journey it wasn't necessarily the destination and so i thought i'm going to go and do it again <laughs> you know i'm going to do the journey again so right i got a job on the tiniest little television program and i've been slowly working my way back up through television since then so that's, that's what I, I do now and i really enjoy television because I, I have to be there that you know they haven't got enough money for me to have any kind of help <laughs> so i have to do yeah. it all myself and that's i awesome. i enjoy that so as we into the final phase of this interview i always like to ask one fun question that is when you are being a stunt choreographer what do you do for fun what do you you know how do you relax is there any shows you like music i i whack up crack mostly <laughs> yeah, no i don't i love music is what my, my thing is that's why i don't really watch movies i listen to music yeah. here in brighton i have a push bike and i ride my push bike i've got a 1942 willie's jeep which i've had for 35 years it's 81 years old now it's the closest i've ever been to being married <laughs> you know most of the time it's misery and you're covered in dirt but when it works i couldn't be happier um so just stuff like that i tinker with things and i make things what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures on social media i don't have any social media derek at all you have, a, you have a website right i've got a website but i never go on it and, oh, right. um i've got this youtube channel which is a very new thing for me and i'm a little bit frightened of it i posted a I posted some videos and suddenly I've got 10,000 subscribers and it frightened the life out of me because I felt like, oh my God, what am I doing? I've got to keep keep these people happy. <laughs> and so I feel enormous pressure. And I, I don't have social media because I, I think it's the heroine of a generation. And uh, That's a great analogy, it, right? There. It is though, you know, That's and it's not, even, it's not even a real hit. You're getting an electronic hit. It's not even making you cough. You know, so I end my interviews with my favorite question, and the question is this: If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? Stop with the social media. Get rid of Facebook. Get rid of Instagram. Get out there in the sunshine. Nice, Nick. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show. I know you're you're very busy. It has been absolutely a real joy. So thank you very much. You're welcome, Derek. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 155. That's right. I want to thank Nick for being so incredibly generous with his time, for being so open 
to telling stories of his time on different films, including Star Wars. What an amazing man, and I'm so glad he and I got to connect. I hope everyone goes and checks out his YouTube channel I did earlier this week, and it's fantastic. So, Nick, thanks again, man, for being so cool and coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for the episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there, and we have everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So, please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you will be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, take a page out of Nick's book. The man has it right. Get off social media for a day or two this week and see how you feel. Everything in moderation, folks, including our digital presence. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.